We're in the second week of a series that I call Life Values, the life we want, the values we need. Who can be compared with the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? He stoops, everybody shout, stoops. <laughs> to look down on heaven and on earth, he lifts the poor from the dust, the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, even the princes of his own people. He gives the childless woman a family, making her a happy mother. Everybody shout, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord, would you just work supernatural here? We're here, and we know that's the first miracle, but our hearts are open as best as we can open them. Our minds are open. So we just welcome the work of your Holy Spirit. Those who are listening by podcast or video, would you just move supernaturally, would you? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody shout amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand praise for you. Sit down. All right. All right. You see it. Um, here's the thesis for this series. It is simply this. Your values will shape your life. And I have, as I said last week, and each week I'll say it in a different way. I'm just challenging every one of you to identify two, three, max, four core life values that you actually write down and begin to think about as you navigate through decisions that you have to make through life. Now, we're going to do something a little uh, fun right now for just a few minutes. Those of you who are watching by video, you just stay engaged with us for a moment. Uh, I'm going to count to three, and I want all of you, in a few moments I'm going to have you to stand, and then you uh, count three, you do this. Uh, I want you to turn around or leave your seat, go find somebody you don't know. And, uh, and just say, look, my name is Herman Hamilton, and uh, find out what their name is, and say, can you just tell me one core value that you live your life by, and why? All right? Everybody stand. Everybody stand. All right, get ready, 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 get ready. Find somebody, 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 somebody. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Come on, let's find somebody. Introduce yourselves. By video, podcast, just hang in here with us, all right? Think about your life values. You can be writing them down right now if you're listening by podcast or video. Three, two, one. Outstanding. Come on, let's give God a hand praise. You guys were fabulous. Fabulous. Listen, here's my favorite part. When I was growing up, I was told, you cannot talk in church. Isn't it great to know you can talk in church a little bit here? Come on, this is fantastic. Fantastic. Now, some of you just got started. You might have had a chance to share yours. You weren't able to get the other person. Uh, So, uh, just, just say this if the person is close to you. Just, just, here's all I want you to do is just say, uh, I'll see you after the gathering. Tell them. I'll see you after the gathering. See you after the gathering. All right, y'all going to meet back there in the social hall, get some donuts, coffee, finish the dialogue, finish getting to know uh, some people um, who you're meeting for the very first time. And those who are listening, I hope you've written down some of your core values as you listen. So, 
Let me just pick up where I left off last week. The first core value we looked at last week is that everybody, come on, say everybody. Everybody matters. That's folk you like and folk you don't like. Everybody matters to God. That is at the very core of our Christian faith. It is a reminder that Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 15, uh, we're reminded with these words, and he, Jesus, died for what? Everybody shout all. He died for all. Everybody. That means that everybody matters. And the verse goes on to say that those who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and who was raised again. So we should live lives that communicate that everyone, shout everyone, everyone. matters. Come on, say this. No exceptions. No exceptions. No exceptions. Everyone matters. Now, if you didn't hear the message last weekend, I encourage you to go to the website, our website, and pick up the podcast or the video uh, so you can catch up with us. Let me tell you what everyone matters doesn't mean. I may have did this in the 12 noon gathering last uh, weekend, but I'm going to revisit again. Everyone matters does not mean that everyone is right. Uh, For Romans uh, 3, uh, 23 reminds us that we... We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We're all broken. So everyone matters doesn't mean that everyone is right. Secondly, everyone matters does not mean that there are no consequences for your actions. There are consequences for our actions and for our choices. And so the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. So our choices, our actions, there are consequences. I'm not teaching moral relativism here. And everybody matters does not mean that uh, God wants you to be codependent. Everybody shout codependent. No, no. Even God makes sure that he's not codependent. One of my uh, favorite verses, Romans 1, in terms of this notion about God being codependent, It says uh, in verse 24, therefore God also, come on, shout, gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor the bodies among themselves. Now notice the verse did not say he gave up on them. It says he gave them up. In other words, there comes a time in our relationship with God that we're just pulling away and pulling away and pulling away and pulling away and rebelling and refusing. And so at some point, God uh, gives us up which is another way of saying what Burger King usually say. God says, have it your way. Or God says, your will be done. And as you pull away, you find your life is racing straight towards a brick wall of consequences. God sometimes allows us to slam into that brick wall of consequences, not so that we can be destroyed, but with the hope that we will come to our senses, realize how much we need him, and turn. He always wants to save us. And sometimes we have to do that with the people in our lives. We have to get out of the way in order that they might have a chance. So God is not, everybody matters doesn't mean that you're called to be codependent. So if I had to summarize what I mean by this, this notion everybody matters, it'd be simply this. I, I know I said this last week, I'll just say it again. That I, 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 I may not like 
everybody. But I certainly can love everybody with kindness and respect. Everybody shout kindness. Kindness. Shout respect. No matter how abhorred you are by a behavior or by a person, there's no excuse why you cannot treat other people with kindness and respect. So one of the things I love this passage, Psalms 113, God is demonstrating in the most incredible way this notion of kindness and respect. Who can be compared to the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? Who stoops, everybody shout stoops, stoops to look down on heaven and earth and he lifts, raises, lifts the poor and raises the needy. That is the highest expression of kindness he's doing. This is the highest expression of respect that he is. He is stupid. Pastor Dan Monroe uh, last week, uh, we were talking about this text, and he said he likes the part about God stooping. And he said, if you're a teenager in your 20s or 30s, you might not actually quite get it. It seems like God is no big deal. He said, but if you're in your 70s <laughs> or 80s, and I would add, if you're in on some mornings, if you're in your 50s. <laughs> Stooping can be quite inconvenient. I mean, you get ready to stoop and you go, oh, oh, oh. So when that grandchild runs up to you and you're ready to pick up the grandchild, you may not sound off, oh, but you feel it, oh, but you still stoop and pick her or stoop and pick him up and, and because you love him and you love her. And what a wonderful image of a God who is enthroned on high who will, the, 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 the real Hebrew behind that is humble himself who will stoop, come on now, who will inconvenience himself, who will go into pain for us. The great picture of God stooping is this. Jesus dying on Calvary's cross is God stooping in pain. Because this is how much he loves you and me. Tell somebody, I'm so glad God stoops. God stoops. And so we can treat people with kindness and respect. The second character I want to raise for us today, however, uh, second point, is that while it is true that everybody matters, it is also true that character matters. Say it with me. Character matters. Character matters. Let me help you connect with me when I say character is what I mean, borrowing from John John Maxwell often says that uh, character is all about who we are on the inside. Who we are on the inside. Matter of fact, the larger quote says this. He's often quoted saying this. Your reputation is what people think you are. Your character is who you really are yourself and to God. Now, many of us, we fall victim of trying to become our best self by not working on the inside, 
but by working on our outside. We think, well, you know, a little bit more makeup, I can become my better self, lose a few more pounds, I can become, you know, working on the outside, my better self, uh, just get up and go to the gym, for, just push a little bit more uh, uh, weight, you know, my, 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 my muscles will bulge out like the hawk and, and I will become my better self, you know, the, the outside, the outside, we say the right things to be perceived in the right way, the outside, the outside, and yet if the change is not happening on the inside, what's going on on the outside is at best artificial. Artificial. Doesn't take you a long way. On the inside. Look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7 verse about this notion of working on the inside. Being aware. He was, some folk was debating about well you can't put certain food in your body it's going to defile you. Jesus responds it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, everybody shout, my heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Come on, everybody shout, check my heart. So in the New Testament, we, we find the word heart, oftentimes it's referring to our character. When we say the word character, shout character, character. where it, it, character includes some of these characteristics. Integrity is included in character. Courage is included in character. Perseverance or grit, shout grit. grit. The ability to hold on, the ability to stay in there is included in character. Confidence, compassion, wisdom. These are all parts of your character. And the Bible teaches us that one of the ways that God develops our character is that uh, he allows us to, to have to work through trials and troubles. Listen to Romans 5. This is what Paul writes in Romans 5. Here's what he says. For we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Why? For we know that they help us develop, there it is, endurance or perseverance or grit and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confidence of the hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. Here's what it means. Sometimes you're asking for God to get you out of something and God says no. I'm going to let you work it through because as you work it through, uh, uh, if you pay attention to my word and you work it through, it's not that I'm going to get you out of something. You're working through is going to get some stuff out of you. Right. You're, you're working through is going to shape, it's going to develop some character. Oh, that we parents and grandparents would learn to deal with our kids and grandkids the way God deals with us. Well, the text says that God doesn't run and rescue us. He doesn't try to make everything easy and smooth. And, and, and what he's telling us, parents and grandparents, stop rescuing those kids from everything. Stop, stop trying to get between them and trouble all the time. Because what you're doing as you make life easy for them, you are tampering with their character. They've got to learn perseverance. They got to learn courage. 
They've got to learn wisdom. I heard a comedian said that his father <laughs> would never say to him, don't put anything in the plug. He'd find him playing with the plug. He'd say, wait a moment, go get a hair. But the thing said, you want this? And then, and then he'd push it. Oh he said he never had to tell him anymore. He's wise. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that you execute your children. But you get the point. Well, here's the question I have to ask. What does this passage, Psalms 113, who can be compared to the Lord our God? It's enthroned on high, stoops, look down on heaven and earth, lifts the poor, raises the needy, from the garbage dump. What does this passage what does it have to do with God's character? What does it teach us about God's character? Blesses the barren woman. She would wake up one day in a house full of family. What does, what does it have to do with God's character? Her name was Lori Gilbert Keys. A couple of weeks ago, the last day of Passover, she went as normal to her Jewish synagogue, just like this one that we're worshiping in. Last day of Passover, interesting enough, the passage of scripture they were studying was uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, where it talks about the line. Uh, living side by side uh, with the lamb. How folk, uh, animals that were violent with one another. This era that's coming where there will be peace and a little child will lead them. She was a little anxious about that day, they say. Because her mom had died in November. And four times a year, the Jewish community, they go through a liturgy that they call the Kadesh. And on that particular day, the last day of Passover, they were going to say the liturgy and remember with honor those who had died. As I've heard about Lori, I'm, I'm shocked about what a small world it is. Number one, uh, everyone who knew her said she was just an incredible person. Said she had a greeting card for every event, birth of a baby, death, Hospital visit, wedding. She's always writing cards. On high holy days for the Jewish community, she wouldn't just invite people to her house who were from her synagogue. She would invite people from her job and her community and the food. The house would be full of food and love. She was an incredible woman. Somebody said that she's best defined by these words that she treated everyone, listen, with kindness and respect. End quote. And she'd send flowers to folk in the hospital. She'd take them, not just people who were close. She was an amazing woman. The story goes that a couple weeks ago, she was in synagogue. She came out to the lobby to check on the kids. Your 19-year-old white supremacist shows up in the door with a rifle. 
starts to shoot. The rabbi is present in the lobby, and by instinct, can you say instinct? Lori jumps between the rabbi and the bullet. A kid is injured, another person is injured, she lies on the ground. Her husband is a doctor. He hears the commotion, runs in, sees someone lying on the ground. He immediately goes and starts CPR only to discover in the middle of it that the person was his wife. Faints. Horror of horror. Small world. Somebody say small world. Small world because, you know, uh, we're in a synagogue. That was a Jewish community in a synagogue. It's a small world, you know, because uh, the week before, another white supremacist had burned down three African-American churches in my home state of Louisiana. We just didn't hear a lot about it because of what was going on in Notre Dame in Paris. And what's remarkable, the white supremacist that shot Murder Lori and the one that burned down the church, both of them claimed to be Christians. I'm reminded of one of my favorite movies, Godfather Part 3. Yes, you can pray for me. You can pray for me. I mean, I love all three of them. They're awesome. This is a magnificent scene. Michael Coleon, who's the head of the of the of the syndicate family is in the in the in the rose garden if you will of the of the of, of vatican and the cardinal is he's talking to him and michael coleon is saying to the cardinal because he's discovered corruption up in the highest of the church he says to the cardinal he says your people are as crooked as my people the mafia and uh go figure south sinners and and, and he, Michael Cardinal couldn't understand it. And the Cardinal said, Michael, he stopped and there was a bowl and had some rocks and it was some water and he pulled the rock out. He said, this, these rocks have been sitting in this water for hundreds of years. He said, look at this. And he hits it, boom, cracks open the rock and it's dry on the inside. He said, they've been sitting submerged in the water, but the water has not penetrated the rock. He says, so is it with Christianity. He says, people have been surrounded by Christianity for thousands of years, and yet, like this rock, the love of Christ has not penetrated their hearts. That's how it's possible to have a well-developed theology like the fellow who shot in the Jewish synagogue uh, it's possible to, to claim Jesus as Lord and still do a heinous act such as what we've witnessed because the power and the love of Christ has not yet penetrated the heart. This is what the Bible says in 1 John 4. He says that, that he says, he says that, that uh, if you do not love, you do not know God, he says, because God is. Doesn't matter what title you have over your head. If you're shooting people in innocent blood, you just cannot know God. A God who stoops for the poor and the needy. Anyway, 
Shout small world. Small world because I discovered a couple weeks ago, I mean last week, that Sherry uh, Shemichael, who is a volunteer in my office, I see about twice a week, she, she told me uh, last week, she said, Pastor, Lori was one of my dear friends. She said, we used to work together in Wells Fargo years ago down south. I know her husband. I know her family. Somebody say small world. By instinct, she jumps between the bullet and the rabbi. What does this have to do with character? Her daughter was talking about how strange they were for two years. They got on different pages. And she says, however, her mother just would not give up on her. That, that her mother would keep calling her and texting her and inviting her to go to lunch. And say, let's go, have a, let's go take a walk in the park. Or let's just sit down in the car and listen to music. We don't have to say anything. We just be together. And, 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 and her mother continued. And, and at some point, the way her mother loved just kind of wore her daughter's heart down. And her daughter... Describes her mother's character with these words. She says, my mother, she believed in radical empathy. Say it with me. Say radical empathy. Oh, when I read that, I, 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 it came to life. It, I, I made the connection why I'm so drawn to this Psalms 113 text and, and what it is that I was grasping for to try to describe the character of God, a God who's enthroned on high, who stoops and lifts the poor and raises the needy from the garbage, uh, from the garbage dump. Uh, and and when, I, when, when I think about it, that's it, that's it. He is illustrating his character, and his character is one of radical empathy. Radical. Radical. Out of the ordinary. Unusual. Empathy. Oh, yes, this is the God we serve. Yes, this is the God that Isaiah writes about, and he prophesies hundreds of years in advance before Jesus shows up on Calvary's cross. And in Isaiah 53, he describes a God of radical empathy. One of my favorite passages is I reflect on what Jesus has done for me. I listen to what it says. Listen for radical empathy. Yet, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. Come on, everybody shout, but. No, 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 shout, but. Come on, come on, but. He was pierced, talking about our Savior, for our rebellion, crushed for your and for my and for our sins. He was beaten. That's the crucifixion of the Savior. So we could be whole. He was whipped, radical empathy, so we could be healed. As the God I know in Jesus is a God of radical. That's how I got saved. Radical. 
That's how his mercy overcame me. Radical. That's why you and I lied today. Radical. Empathy. I want to challenge us to leave here today. Go live lives of radical empathy. May that be your character. Listen, do you know that you don't have to go far to practice radical empathy? There's folk in your home with whom you can practice radical empathy. How would it change the dynamics between you and your spouse, between you and the person you've been dating for the last two years, the one that keeps getting on your nerves, the one that you can't understand, the one that keeps flying off of the handle, the one that exhausts all of your patience? How might it change if you adopted the attitude, you know what, I'm going to bring into this relationship something that is unusual, something that is unexpected, something that is not witnessed or seen in too many places. I think I'm going to act like Jesus. Radical. Empathy. It's radical empathy when we're wrestling with our wayward kids, with our most challenging grandkids, when we refuse to give up, but we just keep wrestling. Radical empathy. 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 There it is right there in that word. Shout empathy. empathy. It's, the, it's the power to get into the other story. It's the power to feel the pain of the other. Empathy. Oh, I think that if we Christians would go out of here, that's how we can bridge the gap politically in a very divisive world rather than responding to that Republican and that Democrat, a political philosophy. Could we just take some time? Could we just model it for the folk on our job? Could we just spend some time and talk and listen to people who are kind of not like us politically and hear their story and discover their pain and listen to their fear? And even if we don't vote about them, we can respect and we can serve and we can engage with a sense of radical yeah. empathy. Could it not be how race relations can improve as Christians lead the way? It's blacks and whites and Asian and others that, that you come into my experience without a judgment. You come and you hear my story. You hear my pain. And, and you have a sense of respect. And I hear your story. And I hear your pain and your fear. And I have a sense of respect. And that somehow, because we are two people of character, radical empathy. That's the secret of this church. With all the theological diversity in this room, but what makes us one church is that we have the ability, or we should develop it, to lay down what is so horrendously important to me that just for a moment, I can pick it up later, but long enough to hear what's so incredibly painful to you. Radical. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower at best. Radical. Empathy. Let me end here.
Do you know that if you know someone's character, you can predict their behavior? That's what the daughter said, Hannah, about her mom after she had been murdered. Hannah said in the funeral oration, I know that my mom has already forgiven Let me give you the secret to how to, to practice. My mom has already forgiven the one who's murdered. Quick story as I come out of time. I was in Guatemala a few years ago. Say this with me. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. I want to give you a practical way of practicing radical empathy. See, because most of us, don't you want the world to be better, don't you? Don't you want to drive hatred out of the world? Don't, don't you really? Don't you? Don't, don't you? And yet we look at the world, we say, we can't do anything with the world. And we just quit. But what if you just practice this do for one what you wish you could do for all? I was in Guatemala, and we have a school there called My, My Special Treasure. It's from kindergarten to uh, eighth grade now, ninth grade. And the parents of the kids, many of them work in the garbage dump. And so I'll never forget it. We were visiting and we went out to the garbage dump. And these mostly women were working out there and digging through the trash, finding products to sell, to put food on the table. The stench of the garbage dump was unbearable. Flies was everywhere. I remember one lady we got ready to pray for. We heard her story and I said, can I pray? And I had a translator. She said, yes, and I laid my hands on her. But the flies was whipping me like a whirlwind. They were feeding on her. The stench. I prayed for her. Then as we got in the bus and began to exit, I had two thoughts. The first thought I thought about was that while we were leaving, the God that I know was going to remain in the garbage dump, surrounding those women with his love, with his mercy. I didn't have the words then, but what I was describing was radical empathy. And so I got ready to leave. The second thought I had was, was, I kind of wish I could do a little more than pray. Oh, as I say that, let me just hurry up and say that, 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 that when you pray, you're doing a lot. <laughs> but every now and then, you, you do kind of want to do a little more. And as I said, I wish I could do a little more. The Lord brought to my memory, and I remembered, oh my gosh, he was showing me, he says, he's saying, he's saying, not you, he says, y'all, that's, that's, the, that's God talking country, y'all, y'all, come on, shout, y'all are doing more. See, what do you mean? Because at that time, and still is today, right now, we have 70 plus families who are part of NBCC. Each of us have adopted one of those children and we send $40 a month 
every month to take care of those kids. And, and that plus what we send at the end of the year through Be Rich comes to closely $50,000. And out of that $50,000, the kids of those parents get two meals a day as they go to school. Out of that $50,000, those kids... Teachers' salaries are being paid, supplies are being purchased, vocational teaching, or they're learning how to do construction and everything else. And, and, and as God began to pull back the blinds and, 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 and show me, I discovered that God was working through NBCC as each of us was doing for one child what we wish we could do for all. God was raising the poor from the dust and lifting the needs from the garbage dump. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. That's our challenge as we leave. Practicing the character of radical empathy. Give God a hand, praise. Mm -hmm.